in this modern age of I can do anything I want, do I actually want to do everything that is quote unquote expected of me? Welcome to The Found Podcast with Molly Knuth, a podcast for women who are founding and getting found with their businesses online. I'm your host, Molly Knuth, and my mission is to help women rewrite how we live and work on our own terms. We want to grow families, impact others for the better, and be a positive force in our communities. But we also want to have a fulfilling life, you know? In the past six years, I've gone from being a stay-at-home mom to a freelance social media marketer to a hashtag boss babe, managing client needs, talented team members, and my husband and four kiddos on our little farm here in Eastern Iowa. And what I've learned in that time is that it's not just about going full force or any one-size-fits-all strategy for a business owner. It takes you leaning into your unique gifts, intuition, and goals, and learning who you are as a person along the way to founding this business. So come along for lessons and stories from female founders growing and scaling their businesses through energetics, tried and true tactics, and high vibe personal growth. Be ready to get found. Ladies, welcome to the very first episode of the Found Podcast for March, 2023. Ever since I was in seventh grade, March has always been something I commemorate. Of course, our daughter has a birthday in March. There's lots of family birthdays in March. But in seventh grade, sitting in Mr. Gleason's language arts class, we were tasked with a project. And if you've been here for any amount of time, you know that I am a lover of all things reading and writing. So even at that young age, I was like enthralled by language arts class. My aunt had a computer. We did not yet have like a family computer that could do cool things like have, um, really cool word processing and stuff. And so for like Mr. Gleason's essays, I would go over to her house and I would type it up and I would use cool fonts. And I took so much time to put clip art on my cover page of my reports. And I just like loved the shit out of it. I know, I realize I'm kind of nerdy. But in March of my seventh grade year, our task was to choose one woman from history to write a research paper on her life and impact for Women's History Month. And ever since I started that research process of learning more about Jacqueline Bouvier Kennedy Onassis, I've always remembered that March stands for more than just flipping the calendar to spring. Yes, St. Patty's Day is awesome. Of course, Charlotte is going to be a woman who leads one day. And I will celebrate her during Women's History Month, but I always remember Women's History Month when we approach this time of year. And starting last year on the Found Podcast, what I did was began the month with a State of the Women address. And then throughout the rest of the month, I told really cool stories of really cool women doing really cool things. And I want to do the same thing this year with the podcast. So we are opening this month with the State of Women 2023. And I'm not going to lie, we are a little statistics heavy. I'm also going to try to get into some storytelling as we get into this episode. But I'm also going to warn you, I might cry because when I was looking at some of these statistics, I was like, this is fucking ridiculous. (laughs) Sorry if anybody is listening. Don't listen with kids in the car. But I was just like, this is ridiculous. What are we doing? How are we helping women? And I don't mean to be a Debbie Downer, but 
dang it if I don't feel like in recent years since COVID, a lot of us feel like women have been taking a step backwards. And I don't, I mean, there's data to back this up, but I also feel like anecdotally, the women I've talked to feel more burnt out, more pressured, more rushed, like the speed of life has increased and we're expected to do all of the things. And this isn't to the downfall of our husbands or partners. It's more saying, how are we as a society building in systems and infrastructures so that we can support this much needed dual income family life, if that is what we are lucky enough to have? And how then, if we don't have that dual income, then we need to work even harder to support women who are of a certain age, who are raising kids, who are doing things to support the future of our economies and our communities. And I just, I really was kind of shocked by the data that I found. But let's step back for a second and talk a little bit about me. (laughs) So in February, I feel like, well, even if I go further back, and for those of you who know me personally, you're probably like so sick of hearing this from me. But we have had just like the winter of illnesses. That's what I'm going to title this at the Knuth household. 2022 into 2023 is going to be, go down as the winter of illnesses. So immediately the day after Thanksgiving, we had a member of the household diagnosed. Actually, if I, I think it was me with COVID. And so then that unraveled a whole season, four straight weeks of people staying home from school or work. So it started with COVID. It went from me to pretty much the rest of the family. Can't confirm because I was the only one that took the test, but then we all observed some of the like isolation and preventative measures that we were supposed to. So cool. Then we went back to work and school. Somebody came down with ear infection. They stayed home. And then literally the next week, we got influenza A. And man, if influenza A didn't kick my ass worse than COVID did. But We just couldn't catch a break. And so from Thanksgiving up until Christmas, we were just really not able to maintain a semblance of regularity to our schedules or our lives. And it was a constant adjustment of, okay, who's staying home? Who is going to need to make up homework? Molly's trying to work for clients as well as care for herself, as well as care for kids. Ryan is trying to do like the daily duties when Molly is sick and he's going to work for the family. And like, oh my gosh, it was just quite a, quite an ordeal. So we get into January, we still have some of the sicknesses, you know, and this isn't exclusive to our story. There were so many people I've talked to this year that just had the sickness bugs and couldn't kick them. And then in February, what we've been dealing with again is adjusted schedules. And When you don't have that regularity of schedule, that dependable like ability to know where you're going to be on a certain date so you can set appointments or like just even check off something as simple as going around and cleaning the house, that can really kind of unravel your your world. And in February, we had like storm after midweek storm here in Iowa, and we've had a lot of canceled school days, adjusted school calendars, in addition to end of the trimester. So the kids had a a five-day break. 
And so I, again, was feeling this urge of like, oh my gosh, there's so much time pressure. There's this work-life balance that I feel like I'm failing at. The mom guilt was piling on. And again, I know this isn't, um, this isn't only me that was feeling this. And I know that my story is actually quite privileged. There's a lot of parents out there who can't be able to be home with their kids or adjust their schedule the way that I am able to, which I feel so lucky for. But still, I went to Instagram on the date of February, now let me just double check, February 16th, and I put out a series of three stories. First up, I took a picture of my son and I, and I said, how do you moms who work outside the home do it? That's what I've been asking myself a lot these past few months. We're on a stretch of five days with no school between sicknesses, snow days, and adjusted schedules. I'm floored and awed by parents who have traditional work lives outside the home. You have all my respect. And then on the last story I posted, I said, truly, I feel called to speak about this. I feel a shift in the way we work and live. I do. And we'll talk more about that. But back to the story. Not 100% stay at home moms like the old days, but also I don't know if the pace of modern life allows for a 40 hour plus job outside the home like in the pre-COVID days. Am I just crazy coming from a place of privilege or is this truly a conversation that needs to be had to support modern parents? And holy shit, you guys, if I didn't have a plethora of responses in my DMs from that story series. So many people showed up and I'll just read a few of them anonymously to you, but multiple hand clapping emojis in regards to those. Some people sent TikToks that kind of symbolize the same uh, question and line of questioning. A lot of people sent me voice memo follow-ups. Some people said things like, amen, or preach sister, 100%. A few others that I received, quote, it's killing us. Everyone feels it. No one knows what to do, end quote. Quote, I have these same questions. Excited to see what you discover, end quote. Quote, I have been thinking about that a lot lately too, with no daycare, appointments, just life in general, end quote. Next up, quote, Molly, I have this conversation with my husband all the time. There's no way I could work traditionally in an office anymore. Also with that comes, that still comes the challenge of working more than 40 hours in corporate because the work is always there. Lots of time spent on my corporate job outside of the nine to five. Um, Another one, I totally agree with this. This is exactly why I started my own business as an organizer um, because her previous employer in industry didn't allow flexibility and required shift work and just the inability to be at home and around when it mattered. Even this is not another person, even though I have a very understanding bosses, they are still very traditional and have made it clear I will never be able to work even one day a week consistently from home. Something needs to change. And honestly, as more women are returning to workforce after COVID, I believe a less traditional workforce is the only way to keep women slash moms slash caretakers in the workforce. Um, the standard 40 hour work week. This is a different person. The standard 40 hour work week is honestly starting to crumble. And if you want more information about like data and specific statistics in regards to research around what is more productive, a four day or a five day work week, seriously, I'm going to link in the show notes to my friend Jade Boyd's podcast because she has a fantastic episode from a few months ago about the validity and quote unquote productivity of a 40 hour work week. Hint. 40 hours is not the most productive style of work week available to us. Uh, I'll read just a couple more. 
Quote, I think you are probably not far off. The downside is people like me who are chiropractors, doctors, healthcare, shift work that need to physically see people and won't be able to do that. So it might shift a little for some professionals, but others would be out of a career if it all moved in that direction, which I totally agree. Totally and 100% agree that this is definitely more specific for and the change in thinking about how we work and live is really something that is more accessible to people of certain industries or people who choose to be entrepreneurs or self-employed than it is for people who are teachers, doctors, um, people who are shift workers in manufacturing or hospitality. There are so many industries out there who cannot do this like flexible schedule kind of format. And so it's not as simple as, okay, let's all go to four-hour work weeks or let's all allow for one day a week remote because there are definitely some industries that do not support that and just simply can't. And so, I mean, I just think it's a bigger, broader conversation than as simple as going to a 32-hour work week or what have you. Okay, back to more responses. 1,000% needed. Compound that with the increased cost of everything, including daycare, that is nowhere near the rate that wages have increased. A thousand percent, as a new mom, I'm definitely feeling the pull to be home more, but I also can't imagine not working or creating in some way. I love that you brought it up and are having these conversations. It makes me feel less alone as a multi-passionate person trying to find a balance with all the things. Quote, appreciate you talking about this. I think about this often. Think it's similar to when you look back on hard times and you realize you got through it slash did it, because you didn't have a choice. Um, The last one I'm going to read, 100% people are finding more value in how they spend their time. The work-life balancing of working and working from home is just insane. So there are so many people, and these are just my DMs filling up, but there are so many people who feel this pressure, as I think you can hear in a lot of the women's responses that were received, that there is just this pressure. And whether it's external or it's internal, so many women are feeling that push that they need to be everywhere at once. And a question I have is after years, like seriously, it's been generations now of telling women they can do anything. You can pursue anything. You can be anything. You can be anything and but how we really meant that we expect women to do everything now. Do we expect them to raise the kids and have a job? Is there a question that if somebody doesn't want to do it all, is that accessible? And I don't have any answers. I am just simply like saying, I don't know either, but I feel like these are discussions that need to be had. And as I was pulling up data, So now we're going to get into the data heavy component of today's (laughs) recording. But the data, like it wasn't just these anecdotal responses from Instagram that made me say, there's really a lot to this for the state of women 2023. Data supports this too. So according to, so I got this, all these statistics, but I did follow them to other links. But In the show notes, I'll send you to where I got a lot of this data and I will link to as much as possible. So there was a website that was a compilation of a bunch of these statistics, but they all are valid. They are all, I followed links. So um, the first statistics, uh, again, go to the show notes if you want to read these for yourself. 
But April 2020, the number of women in the labor force was at the lowest rate in the past 30 years. And according to the Population Reference Bureau, PRB.org, In 1970, 43% of women ages 16 and older were in the labor force, 43%. By the year 2000, 61% of adult women were in the labor force for an increase of 18%. Fast math. (laughs) And that same time period, men's labor force participation declined from 78% to 74%. So men's participation went a little bit backwards, but Overall, what I see in those data metrics is that we saw a huge jump in women participating in the workforce. Men's came back a little bit, not a ton. So while women were joining the workforce, getting involved in their local economies, national economy, there wasn't a huge pullback from the male side. And so my question then is like, okay, so all of this like invisible workload, the mental workload that we hear about too, like the housekeeping, the homekeeping, the paying of the bills, the purchasing the groceries, the taking care of children, things like that, the running errands. So there wasn't an equal distribution or a balance that offset the huge percent of women who joined the labor force. And then that wasn't reflected in men removing themselves from the labor force. So there wasn't an equal distribution. What happened was women added to their plate. Um, According to BLS.gov, for more recent data, in 2019, 57.4% of all women participated in the labor force. So that came back a little bit since the year 2000. And as close as I could get to today's date was an article in Fortune. And again, I will link to all of these. But Fortune had data and metrics that were a little bit, um, I tried to confirm them as much as possible, but On the eve of the pandemic, early 2020, Fortune said that 59.2% of women were participants in the labor force, but by September 2022, that number was 58.4%. So almost 1 million women removed themselves from the labor force during the pandemic in the United States. In that article, what I found was really interesting was that it said the sweet spot for maximum employment by the United States Fed falls between 4.1 and 4.7% unemployment. That's like the sweet spot that they want to keep it at so that there is still demand for jobs that that offsets things like inflation. And so in that time frame of pandemic 2020 to 2022, 4.6% of women were unemployed, all ethnicities, which puts it towards that upper end of that unemployment rate. Now, this is all ethnicities. If you look at specifically black women, 8.5% of women were unemployed in September 2022, 6.1% of Latinas. The reason these numbers are important is because if the sweet spot for the Fed to say, oh shoot, we've really got an unemployment problem here is 4.7%, then all ethnicities of women unemployed in 2022 at that 4.6% rate is in fact like kind of alarming. And it's definitely alarming when you look at those percentage rates of women of color. And again, I come back to what are we doing? What are we doing to help women? What are we doing to help the state of women today? According to the Women's Bureau of U.S. Department of Labor, in 2019, teaching was reported as a top occupation for women and that that industry employed the largest number of women too. 
more data from McKinsey and Company in 2022. They did a study and they found that one in three women and 60% of mothers with young children spent five or more hours a day on caregiving and housework. 42% of women reported that they felt burned out. 42% of women in the workplace reported that they felt burned out. And due to this high burnout rate, um, CNBC reported in a 2021 article that one in three women consider leaving the labor force or downshifting their careers. Isn't that like just crazy? And in 2023, things haven't dramatically increased. In fact, I just read an article a few days before this recording at CNBC.com, and it was talking about the rate of women in high leadership leaving their companies and how this is an all-time high. And in that article, it talked about for every one woman ascending the leadership ladder in the workplace, two women were stepping down. And in recent days, in fact, just since in sitting down, a number of really high profile women, political leaders, and leaders of companies have put in their resignation. So just this year, the Scottish first minister, she resigned after more than eight years in the role, saying that no one should stay in a political role for too long. New Zealand Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern said in January when she stepped down from her prime minister position there that she had no more in the tank to lead the country. And in the United States, in these professional sectors, I'm, you guys, I'm going to butcher some of these names. Um, her name is Susan, and her last name is spelled W-O-J-C-K-I-C-K-I. She's the CEO of YouTube. She has a long history of leadership in the tech industry. But earlier in 2023, she stepped down from being the leader at YouTube, and she said it was to start a new chapter focused on family, health, and personal projects that she's passionate about. Um, Marnie Levine, Levine, again, I'm, you guys, I don't know how to pronounce these names. She's been a leader at Facebook slash Meta for the last 13 years, and she stepped down from her role in order to, quote, recharge and prioritize some quality time with family. And seriously, two days before this recording, one of the, my personal favorite women in leadership in the business world, Sanira Madani, founder of Stacks, she stepped down from her CEO position at the company. And I'm going to read you a little bit more of what she said in her um, official press release on Instagram. But Sanira said, there comes a time in one's life when you have to decide what you're chasing and recalibrate your why. In March of last year, we achieved the unimaginable unicorn status to be at the top, to be part of the 0.000001% of entrepreneurs who meet that mark, and to do it all as a woman of color, as a first-generation immigrant, and defying every odd with more scars on my back than I can count was everything I was working towards. And so naturally, I thought that once the milestone was met, I would finally be able to breathe and that the weight of achieving the impossible would get miraculously lifted off my shoulders. Little did I know that the opposite would happen. Amongst all of the accomplishments, milestones, awards, accolades, and goals that were met, all I had was the feeling that something was missing. What happens when you achieve your biggest goal, when you shoot for the moon and you actually land? Well. You do what everyone tells you you should do next. Fall back into the trap, back into the grind, back into what society expects of you. You raise the bar again without savoring any of it at all and accepting that it may just be enough this time. 
I added this time. That's not in the official quote. Sanira continues, all those years ago when I embarked on my entrepreneurial journey, I had three goals in mind, freedom of time, freedom of dollar, and freedom of impact. And even though those reasons never wavered, I found that I could never have all three of them at the same time. While all the headlines with my name in them read millions, one billion, unicorn, I knew I wasn't fulfilled. That's not how I want to be remembered, and it's definitely not the legacy I want for myself. Freedom of dollar suddenly wasn't as shiny, not without the impact. With that, I am so, so proud of the company Sal, her brother, and I built, and I know it is in amazing hands with the people we have hand-selected over the years. It will continue to make us proud and be mine and Sal's legacy no matter the changes ahead. I will always support and be Stack's biggest cheerleader. It will always be my first. And I can't wait to see it grow to even greater lengths. But today, I am ready and so excited to find myself again and write my next chapter. Holy shit, you guys. And why is this important? These are women who have had, like Sanira said, all the accolades, all the awards, all the attention. And they felt like once they got to this place, this this intangible number, or this intangible feeling, or this arbitrary like finish line that they would finally have, quote unquote, it all. But I think their stories show us that we as women in society and also to ourselves have really set the bar so high for ourselves that we might not ever be able to attain that, and nor should we feel like we have to. Even with these women who look from the outside for all intents and purposes to have the things that we are supposed to want to have. They still don't feel that either. They still yearn for better work-life balance. They still want family time. They want to have a job that's fulfilling, but they also don't want to be married to that job. In a study by Deloitte in 2022, almost half of female employees rate their work-life balance as poor or extremely poor. Only 39% say they achieve good or perfect balance. And another study from Deloitte in that same year, 53% of women report higher stress levels than even one year ago. 53% of women. Our stress levels are going up and up and up. Again, I ask, what are we doing to help women? There's been a lot of question in recent years especially with the results of COVID on the economy and all of the workforce questions that we've been having. And I know I've been firsthand at the table on some of these questions when employers and uh, city governments are asking the questions like, where are the workers? My question is, where are the women? In all of the data that I've been sharing with you, it's showing that our stress levels, our internal feelings, our work-life balance, are out of whack. Our unemployment numbers among women in particular are higher. And women are being, I don't want to say forced out because I feel like a lot of women are making choices that they themselves feel good with. But I also feel like we aren't supporting women to allow them to work should they so choose in a lot of cases. And I, again, I am coming totally from a place of privilege because I am a married woman. I have like, thank goodness my husband is like, I can do the things that I do here at MKM and with the podcast because my husband has a very stable job and he makes 
this available to me. I'm blessed for that. But I do think about like these women who don't have that. Even, oh gosh, I don't even know how to say all of this, but I'm just like, what are we doing for women? How are we helping them? And I I know I'm speaking a lot to like the discussion of like moms and family. I know that a lot of us um, out there as women, we might fall into either before kids or not having kids, or maybe we are post raising kids in our household. But there are still so many pressures on us to show up for families, to show up for our communities, and to show up for work in a way that is 100%, 100%, 100%. For a total, nobody has 300%, you guys. Um, okay, now I'm just starting to ramble because I'm getting really fired up. But the last thing I want to share with you as far as data and statistics, and this one's going to hit a little bit closer to home. I'm looking at Iowa numbers in particular because that's my home state. And this is going to be a big thing that I think, and we've heard from some of the feedback from women when they were sending in their Instagram responses here. But some of the numbers I pulled up were in regards to childcare costs. And if we're really concerned about supporting women and giving them balance, we also need to be serious about how are we supporting families and kids. According to the Des Moines Register in an article from March 17, 2022, uh, they cited an Iowa child care resource and referral article that quoted the average cost of year-round full-time infant care at a licensed center in Iowa was more than $11,400 per year in 2021. That's almost 15% more than the $9,942 for one year of in-state tuition at the University of Iowa. It costs more to put a child through daycare than it does to put a child through college. There's something out of whack with that, isn't there? And there, in that article, they went into more detail, like breaking down the difference of cost, like if you do an in-home childcare and the averages of those versus cost at childcare centers. So cost at childcare homes in 2021, according to this Des Moines Register article, uh, was an average of $144 per week for infants and young toddlers. Um, it was $140 per week for children ages two through five. Um, cost at childcare centers were approximately $218 per week for infants and young toddlers. That price went down to an average of $198 per week for two-year-olds, $186 per week for three-year-olds, and so on. So I put together like, okay, if somebody had one infant and one two-year-old and they worked full-time, so they needed full-time care for their child, for one year of daycare in a center for one infant and one two-year-old, that would ap- approximately be $20,000 in childcare alone in one year. That doesn't include any of the other costs associated with feeding these kids, clothing these kids, diapering these kids. That's simply for childcare. And this is not a knock at childcare centers because I know that they, they need the money and they can, you know, it's not like they're taking baths in $100 bills and paying their employees like there's these still are like they're not making a large margin of profit at these childcare centers either. So again, my question is what are we doing to help women with this? And in Iowa, even though we are not like the lowest median income average by far among the United States, still 
the Iowa median weekly earnings for women in 2020, according to BLS.gov, was $854 per week. In comparison, men in 2020, they made approximately the median was $1,020 per week. So for that, women made approximately 83.7% of what men made. According to iowadatacenter.org, the 2019 median earning for a woman in Iowa working a full-time job, the median earning is uh, $40,681. And I'll link to all of this in the show notes, but like simply like at face value, in 2019, if you were a woman working full-time, the median income that you brought home was $40,600. If you had two kids you were putting through daycare at that same time, then half of your income went to just daycare costs. And I didn't look at this before, but that $40,000, I think that is total. I don't know if that was pre-tax or post. So again, how like we want women to work. We want women to raise kids. Does it make sense to be able to do this? I just don't know. And I think that a lot of us are in this place of, I want to do these things that fulfill me. I want to feel like I have impact in my community. I want to feel like I go to work and then I'm going to bring home a paycheck that contributes to my household. I want to feel like I am taking care of my kids. I feel like I want to make a difference. I do want to be able to like, be a woman who lives for her family, herself. But is that possible? And in 2023, looking at these numbers and knowing what I received from my followers on Instagram, even though that was a very small demographic, I feel like it really does like coincide with the numbers I found. And I know the feelings that I have too. And I think a lot of us in this time frame are asking in this modern age of, I can do anything I want. Do I actually want to do everything that is quote unquote expected of me? And if we're being honest, I know that we are, as women, we're really hard on ourselves, but we are also really hard on other women too. We might say, oh, look, she's leaving the workforce to be a stay-at-home mom. Or, oh, shoot, yeah, she, she really dropped the ball on that. Her kids were sick last week and she didn't come in for that meeting or whatever. We need to also be our own best advocates too. And what I have found in the entrepreneurial space is that women are very supportive and they're willing to walk other women through what they have learned, the life lessons that they've learned in order so that women can build truly like work and life balances. I don't really like balance. I like integration so that women can really integrate their work and their life in ways that make the most sense to them. And I really do see like truly when I look at the future One of the things that I see is that allowing women the space to be these work from home roles that we can mold and build the ways that we want to that play into our skill sets. I really do think that that's something that our future is leaning towards more and more and more. And as I said earlier, it's not possible for every single industry. For those of us who want to be in healthcare, and it's been her dream for years to be a nurse or a doctor or a dentist. Yeah, there's going to be that call that you need to like go and have a physical workspace. But for those of us who 
don't have those roles, like maybe we can ask ourselves, do I really need to be in a physical location? Can I have a flexible schedule or a flexible location? I think it's time that we really do like seriously look at the ways that we have been like conditioned growing up and saying that what worked in our younger years, if you're like close to my age growing up through like the 90s and the early 2000s, we're living in a different world now. And does the same ways that we were brought up match the like technology and the atmosphere and the environment of today? And I think it's okay to start making some of those changes. Honestly, like when I look forward, and this might be a little far out there, but I also look backward. I think there's so much from our history that we can learn from. And I truthfully love reading about history and looking at old photos. But I think back to those little, like, especially in the Midwest, those small towns and those little homesteads and how in the small town of the yesteryear, like you had a blacksmith, you had a general store, you had a milliner, you had a dressmaker, you had like different people who had a specialty and they could do the special thing themselves and they had their own business. And it wasn't actually until like, Later, like, you know, the mid 20th century, when we started seeing the emergence of things like department stores and like mega malls and big box retailers and seeing this corporatization of life and work. And I really do feel like as we've moved into this age of technology and information, we're seeing that begin to like come back. We're seeing those boutiques online or on our main streets. We're seeing people finding their skills and their hobbies and monetizing those in ways that we couldn't before the internet and making livings that really allow our skills to shine because we have opportunity in ways that we didn't before. And as we have this emerge, I don't think we need to pile on to what was already established for us in the 80s and 90s. I really do think that we can rewrite and redefine how we want to go forward. A couple other notes and then I'll wrap this up. But a conversation I had in the DMs um, with somebody on Instagram, somebody who I really admire and I really love, but she and I were talking and she said, you know, in the olden days, like women were raising kids in villages. She's like, where are our villages now? I think in her point was, that now we are so independent and we feel like we have to do all of the things, but even more so all of the things by ourselves. And when we lived in like neighborhood of the 20th century, we would meet up with our girlfriends and we would uh, get our kids together, send the kids outside to go play at the neighborhood ballpark. We would also maybe get together with church circles or things like that. You know, way back in the day, you really did like literally have your village. That was your circle. And so to that end, I really do think like social media, while it is a blessing, it can be a curse too, because I see that a lot of the things we used to do to socialize, we don't do so much anymore because of the advent of social media. Like I think about the Chamber of Commerce meetings or the JC's club or the you know, the church circles and a lot of the attendance of those in the days of yore 
was to get things done. But I also think there was a high social element to that too, where you went because you wanted to catch up with friends and you wanted to shoot the shit. And today, I feel like some of these like well-established clubs and organizations and social avenues, they don't necessarily have as great of attendance, not because people don't care or don't want to volunteer, but I think it's that in the olden days, that was your way of socializing. And then you had something good to do too. And But now we have social at our fingertips. And so we're like, yeah, I already know what's going on. And I just want to stay home instead of attending a meeting on a Wednesday night. And that can hinder us because it prevents that face-to-face interaction that we as humans need. And it prevents that feeling of being united and having that commonality and that village surrounding you as you pursue whatever that next step is for you, whether it's uh, advancement in your business or your job, or uh, just like being able to talk to somebody who's also raising children of the same age or going through like for women like menopause or you're having weird health things happen and you want to feel like you have that village around you. In the DMs when I was talking to this woman, she said a lot of times when we feel our village is not in the day-to-day, it's when something has already gone unreasonably bad. And I can see that in myself too, where we're just so caught up in our own races, in our own heads, that we don't always look up at our neighbor on the regular. We just look up when we're like, oh no, did you hear so-and-so lost her job? Or, oh no, did you hear so-and-so got a really bad health diagnosis? And then we show up and we show up in droves from small towns, right? We are really good with that. But we also need a village on days that aren't so obvious. And so I ask not just what are we doing for women, but how can we be better villages? And I say that not in a judgy way because I am, I'm, offender number one when it comes to how how am I as a fellow villager? Answer, I could be a lot better. All right. And then the last thing, and by the time this episode airs, it'll be the week of this presentation. But last month I got asked um, out of the blue to be a presenter to my alma mater, the University of Northern Iowa, uh, for their women in business conference. And this is kind of weird in a variety of ways, but it was because they were looking for people in leadership. And so weird thing number one is I don't see myself as a leader, truthfully. I really just see myself as like trying to put fires out most days, trying to show up for all of the million things I'm supposed to show up for most days. And I truly don't see myself as someone who is like, doing anything dramatically different than anybody else would do. So that was kind of weird. But second part of that is that at my alma mater, I went into the University of Northern Iowa without a declaration of study. I was like on scholarship, but I was like, I have no idea what I want to do here or therefore with the rest of my life. So I'm just going to be an undecided major. I was probably the only person like at this certain scholarship that I received that like didn't know what she wanted to do. Everybody else was like, yes, I am going to be a CEO one day or I am going to be a doctor. I'm going to be a future lawyer. And kudos to them. A lot of them did. They're fantastic people. But I was truly like, I have no clue. And so for my first year, I did not do, I just did my general studies. I like partied, lived the college life and experience, got a job. Um, and did just very average things. 
And then in my second year was when I had to like, finally, I had to declare something. And so I decided that I was going to be a teacher. And I, once I figured that out, I was like, yes, this is it. I love teaching. I love learning. I love showing other people how to do things. And so when I graduated from UNI, I graduated with my teaching degree in middle and high school level English language arts with a minor in educational technology. So it's kind of weird to be asked to go back and I'm going to be on stage at the Gallagher Blue Dorn Performing Arts Center talking about leadership in business. And honestly, I think I stepped into the business building on UNI campus twice. Once was when I was considering what I wanted my major to be. And it was like, consider a major in business. And I was like, oh, maybe, you know, I I do remember being like, marketing might be fun. And then I went to like the explorational meeting and I saw a proposed like syllabus of study. And I was like, I have to take these things called macro and microeconomics. No. (laughs) Then I quit listening. And I really was like, I, I had to take those just to graduate with a business degree of any kind. And I was like, I don't care about that. And so therefore I am not doing it. So now it just feels really weird that I'm going to be like, yes, I have a business and I suppose I am a leader. But I talked to some friends and they're like, Molly, like look at like the ways you are leading. And so what I'm thinking or what is going to be the topic of my presentation is leading in small ways. And so that's what I want to leave you with from this episode of like all of the things that we're feeling. And even though this episode may feel like a drag or a downer, all of these statistics and data are like, ah, things are shitty. There's also just as many things that are not. I am a stay-at-home mom who has been able to create a business. And while it has not been easy every day, I have been able to do it. And my doing it, my stepping into this and saying, okay, I will do it, I've been able to have ripple effects on my clients, on my team members, on other women who maybe saw something in my story that was in theirs and they decided to do their own thing. Maybe it wasn't start a business, but they took a part of that story and they did something else. So that was leadership in and of itself. There are other small ways that we are leading. Maybe it's contributing to our local PTA. Maybe the way that you lead is by saying yes to an event that you didn't think you would ever attend on your own, but you're like, I guess I'm going to. Maybe your way of leading is saying no to something. Maybe in your community, everybody does this one thing and you're like, I've always thought it was dumb, but I did it because everybody else did it. And I didn't want to be weird and like the only person, but I'm not going to do that this year. So say no, that's leading, that's showing. And then what will happen is other people will show up and they'll be like, you know, I always thought that was dumb too or whatever. But there are small ways that we lead and look back in your story, in your own experiences. And I would bet that you see examples of small ways that you're leading and The last thing I'm going to leave you with is something that my son actually asked me yesterday. And he's 12 years old and he is very profound in ways that I don't think he realizes, but he loves to play the would you rather game. And like, whereas my would you rathers are like, (laughs) this is kind of embarrassing, but I was like, would you rather fart every time you took a step or burp every time you opened your mouth? I do want to hear your answer. If you're listening, please DM me with that response. But his would-you-rathers are always so deep and so introspective. He's such an old soul for being 12 years old. And his would-you-rather to me yesterday, I shit you not, was, Mom, would you rather be able to create world peace 
Or would you rather be able to just smile at a person and then you make them so happy? And so when I thought about that, I was like, you know, both of those would be really cool. And I thought, what would be the, what would be the impact? What would be the lesson? What would be the learning behind it? And while world peace would be so, so cool, I did go with smiling at others because my thought process was if I smiled at one person, that made their day 100% better, they would go into the rest of their day interacting with other people. And then we'd have this really cool ripple effect of every time I smile, somebody else's day is made. And then they're going to go make somebody else's day. And then we will achieve world peace. But it will be much more fulfilling because other people had a firsthand opportunity to influence that. And so with that would you rather question, I'm going to leave you on the State of Women 2023 asking, what is one small way that you can lead and course correct some of these statistics that we went through today, some of these feelings? Is there one small, small, tiny, tiny thing you could do? It doesn't have to answer or solve all the problems that we're facing. Truth be told, I don't think we're meant to have this much information 24-7. But I do think we can drill down and find one small thing we can do to impact one life of one other person in today. And from that small thing, that small way that we showed up for them, that we cared for them as a fellow villager, that we said no or we said yes, that we stood up for ourselves. If we can do that in one small way today, one small way tomorrow, one small way next Tuesday, one small way six weeks from now, we will see a compounding effect that will result in a much improved State of Women Address 2024. And on that note, I thank you for listening for the past 50 minutes. This is probably the longest solo recorded episode I've done in a really long time, but it feels so good. Thank you guys for listening. And if you have any response, I do still want to hear your would you rather response. But if you have any insights, takeaways, even if you challenged me, I kind of liked seeing some of these challenges come up too um, in my DMs. But if you have any thoughts, I welcome your response. And if you liked the show, found podcast, head over to iTunes or Spotify and leave a review. I would be eternally grateful for that. So I will be back next week. We are just kicking off Women's History Month. We have some really fantastic interviews lined up for you, and I can't wait to bring them all to your speakers in the next few weeks. Take care. Hey friend, thank you so much for listening in to The Found Podcast. If you loved what you heard in today's episode, please head over to The Found Podcast on iTunes or Spotify and leave us a review. It means so much to know how you think about these episodes where I pour out my heart or to know what strategies you found most effective from our guest experts. While you're there, you can also check out that library of 100 plus episodes of stories of female founders and successful strategies for getting found in your business. Thank you again for being here this week and I'll be back with even more in next week's episode.